Thank you for downloading this episode of the Mac Report Podcast. This episode is brought to you by our subscribers over at themacreport.com. Their support allows us to bring you our coverage of Merrimack Athletics. If you are a subscriber, I thank you. And if you're interested in becoming a subscriber and gaining access to all of our coverage, head on over to themacreport.com today and sign up. If you don't want to subscribe but still want to support us, please rate and review our podcast over on Apple Podcasts. Once again, thank you to our subscribers for making our coverage possible. And now, on to this week's episode. All right, welcome into this week's Mac Report podcast. I'm Mike McMahon, and I'm joined by, I would say special guest, but it's probably a, a special guest host, because we're going to try to do this weekly now. You know him. You'll, you'll recognize the voice, because he's the voice of Lawler Arena. Ian Beauchene joins me today. Ian, how are you? Mike, how we doing? Thanks for uh, thanks for bringing me on. Looking yeah, forward no, to uh, joining you on a weekly basis here. Should this should be, be fun. fun. It's like I, I, when we were texting earlier this week. I said it'll be better than talking to myself. So, <laughs> yeah, I, hey, like you said, I I've been you know just contributing to the website for a few years now, helping you out. You know, especially when you're you know you and your boys, your schedules are all over the place, and which is how it know, tends to go. Yeah, exactly, and you know, being able to get around and take in games as much as I possibly can and helping you out, it's great. So. Uh, been a long time coming and uh to be another voice here looking forward to it well we got a lot of things to talk about let's start with men's basketball who opened their season on monday uh, we're recording this on thursday so they, they actually play tonight so you're probably by the time you listen to this are going to know how they made out against worcester state a division three school for the home opener uh they lo- i thought they looked pretty good on monday you know with the amount of new faces that they have joe gallo with jordan minor in the portal and ziggy reed in the portal had to do a lot to go in and reshape his roster a little bit, especially up front with some of the forwards. Uh, and they did that with some guys out of the portal. And overall, first impre- against a really good Vermont team that's supposed to be one of the better teams in America East, they were picked to win that league again. Uh, even though they didn't get the win, I thought it was a, a pretty good first step. Uh, yeah, definitely. I mean, you mentioned the the biggest thing with Jordan Minor and Ziggy Reed both heading to the portal. It's like over the last three years we've seen them grow from these couple of freshmen that contributed to that first nec title uh regular season championship team um in their first year at d1 and here they are last year when you know rightfully from our perspective being merrimack fans and and being you know alumni of the the school itself and around the athletic program as much as we are to see them have a chance to go to the national title game, but that four-year probationary rule, we've, we've heard your stance on it time and time again. I, <laughs> I fall in the same exact boat. It's like, if you're going from Division two up to Division one, why should you be punished for thinking, hey, our athletic program is in a great spot to move and succeed and show people, and, and we've seen that. So, obviously, it was a big thing with those two guys departing, but I thought Jordan Durkak looked uh, – really good for somebody that the offense is going to run through him a lot this year. I mean, he put up uh, 16 points and had eight boards in 32 minutes. Um, Average 16, uh, excuse me, 7.8 points a game last season. Season high was 15 early on last year uh, when I went to St. John's. So um, like you mentioned, it was a good Vermont team. They've won the America East four out of the last five years, if not four out of the last six years, I believe it is something like that. So they're a regular name of the, uh, NCAA tournament so it's a good test for coach Gallo and his and his staff uh, right out of the gates and uh, you know I, I thought they did look good for stretches of that time it, it's funny because like it's never one guy's team right but last year felt like it was Jordan Miner's team and, and Ziggy Reed's team too uh, before that it was kind of felt like it was Javar's Hayes team even though you know Jaleel Lord had a big role you know alongside him and Miner was emerging then as well but uh, I came out of the game on Monday going hey and I think I even wrote this it does kind of feel like, all right, this might be, by the time we get to conference play, we may be saying, okay, this is Jordan Durkak's team. Because there was that moment in the second half where he kind of took the game over for about a three or four minute stretch, got them within the closest that they had been. They started the game down 19-2. So, but I think they had gotten within six or seven 
at that point. Yeah, they got it back down. They got it back down to single digits later in the first half, and they were stick. They were they were right around. They were they were hanging around at halftime. So and Dirkak, um, I think, had a run where he he had like a six zero run on his own early in the second half, which got him right within yeah. six seven points. That's where it kind of felt like wow, he's kind of he's taking the group here. Yeah, and that's a good thing to see, especially for the sophomore, right? I mean, he comes in last year. He knows he's going to be kind of on the back burner, right? He he knows he's coming in. He's got guys in front of him like Jordan Miner and Ziggy Reed and uh, guys that have been there, and even Jordan McCoy too, right? We, yeah. we talk about a guy in Jordan McCoy who's back this year, and he's going to be another he, – he's going to kind of fill the same role as, as Ziggy Reed would last year, right? If, if Derek Hack's able to take that next step and really say, hey, look – I realize we lose that size and we lose that ability to have defenses collapse in on the paint. And that opens up things for a guy like Reed, who, even though he was a big man at six, five, he still had the tremendous ability to stretch defenses and be effective Durkak's from downtown. Way, right? Like six, and, and five, Dur- but Durkak, can shoot. Yeah. He's a, he's a taller guy, but he can, he can shoot. So, um, the team as a whole, they went four nineteen from three point range. But as we've seen, this offense will take the three if they can get it. But they want to just milk clock. They'll settle for two point buckets with two seconds left on a shot clock, as opposed to taking a wide open three with three seconds expired on a thirty. You know what I mean? Yeah, and I think it's you know it was interesting to see how they kind of played the same way, even though they had so many new faces. Not in not just new faces in terms of new players, but new faces and new roles. Like Durkak's not a new face, but he's in a little bit of a different role than he was last year. Last year he was kind of in a complimentary role. This year he's kind of in a focal point role. So really everybody feels like the only guy that might be in the same role he was a year ago is Savage. Although Savage now, you know, I know he start was starting towards the end of the year. Um but still, he might he might be that the the only guy that's kind of returning in the same role because Durkak I think is is going to be more of a focal point than he was a year ago. Uh, some of the other guys they have returning like Tumu came back. He was a starter, you know, he was a bench player last year and didn't play a ton and ends up starting again in that game against Vermont. And then of course all the new portal transfers that they had. Some freshmen, Bud Clark, a freshman guard, looked really good. <laughs> uh, you know, I think it's like it's interesting to see how they're going to bring things together early. That's why I think this game against Worcester State is, even though you're playing a D3 team, you should win the game handily, right? It's still going to be an important night to figure out, okay, what do these rotations look like? Who's comfortable with who? Just with all these new faces to get guys comfortable is a, is a big thing. And going out there, even though it's not maybe not the best reps in the world, but just reps with guys in the spots they're going to be in, I, it's an important game. And they've got another one coming up. I think it's like a Felician at home in a couple of weeks. Same sort of deal, just to get those guys into their role. So once you get in a conference play, you hit the ground running. I know I was I was joking with Coach Gallo in the week. I said, if you want any indication that the non-conference play, from a record standpoint, really doesn't matter, just look at last year. And he goes, well, you know, I don't want to – I don't exactly want a repeat of last year. I think they only had one win, right? Uh, he goes, I don't want exactly yeah. a repeat of last year. He's like, I'd like it to be a little bit better, but, you know, on the whole, the, the premise is is still correct. <laughs> Yeah, and I mean, if you look at this year's non-conference schedule, I'd say this year's Ooh. slate is probably tougher than what last year's had. Um, we'll, we'll get a little bit more into the schedule here in a couple of minutes, but you you mentioned, you know, Atumnu coming in too, and he's going to be the big man in the paint, so to speak, right? He's going to be the guy that you're going to want to anchor down on on the on the back hat on the backcourt and. You know, if you can get things out of him as far as production in the paint is concerned, I mean, he had 17 points. He was two or three from the field. So, I mean, he had a couple of opportunities, but I think a lot of that also has to do with, like you said, guys still trying to become familiar with timing on the offensive end of things. You know, where is this guy going to be when he makes a certain cut, you know, against the defense? Is he going to break into the left or is he going to change his mind at the last second and all of a sudden I'm looking to give him a one-handed bounce pass through the lane as the defender is cutting left instead of right. So the, the more timing that these guys get on the court, the better it'll be. And and the opportunity tonight against Worcester State, like you're talking about, is a good chance for them to, to uh, improve on that. Good chance to be at home, too, a place they're not yeah, going to be exactly. a lot of here early yeah. in the year. Yeah. Which is kind of <laughs> yeah. the way that it is, right? I mean – it, it's it's and a twofold not... thing. You don't get a lot of teams that want to come in and play you because for two reasons. A lot of teams won't travel to NEC schools. They just it's too small, right? Yeah. That's just how it is. 
and also you're winning. So, so there's exactly yeah. There's some teams that don't want to play. They don't want to lose. Play a non-conference game, and all of a sudden, hey, that's a bad loss on our on our resume when we're when we're coming around to, you know, the end of March, and are they a bubble team? Are they one of the first? first four out or they one of the last four in because of the fact that they came to North Andover and played, you know, the make chaos defense that coach Gallo and, that, and, his, and, that's and his staff run so much know. different. I, I know I'm sure they cannot get non-conference opponents, or they have a more difficult time getting non-conference opponents because teams and coaches just don't want to play against the zone. Yeah. Cause and, most teams don't we, do it. We saw how effective it was. I mean, look at look at the legacy that Jim Beheim just recently wrapped up yeah. in Syracuse. What, what what were they known for? They were known for the zone, and I think that it's now become the staple of Joe and this team. And if that is what prevents teams from wanting to come in to play you in your own building, then I guess that's a good thing to have. So be it. <laughs> You know, so be it, right? And hopefully the move to the MAC next season lightens that up a little bit more. You're in a bigger, bigger name conference. It's a it's a step up from where you've been the last four years, and you might have a little bit easier of a time getting teams to come in. Because I mean, it, it, we talk about the non conference road schedule here. What, what a uh, what a gauntlet they got coming up. <laughs> yeah, you got at Florida, not not necessarily in this order, but I know it's at Ohio State, at Georgetown, at Florida. At Cincinnati, <laughs> at Maine, yeah, they go up to Maine. At Vermont, play them. don't forget at Vermont. You know, they, 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 yeah, they, they just had, did. They had Vermont to start the year. <laughs> uh, they go to BU too. That's another non-conference game. That's a local game, but BU is a tough team. That's the Patriot League is a competitive yeah. league. I mean, we we've seen that time. Spending and time Thanksgiving again, so. in, in Birmingham, Alabama, in a tournament yep, down there. Sweet, sweet home, Alabama, right for. For Thanksgiving, so I mean they they got some uh, they got some tough games coming up on the non conference, and uh, they they're actual they're they're not home again following Thursday night game until Saturday December second when they yeah. welcome in UMass Lowell. I saw that. So, yeah. but it, it's fun too. I mean, look, do they have a chance in some of those games against, the, especially on the, like Ohio State, Florida, Georgetown, uh, Cincinnati? Do they have a shot at one? Probably not. Like, what, what's the, the spread in those games are going to be? north of 20 points okay but think like it because look what happens when they beat northwestern it's a huge story you have that potential yeah. there where like if you win one of those games you're, you're on leading sports best center. thing i saw tonight yeah you're leading sports center you know yeah. and even and sometimes you don't even have to win the game like a couple years ago when they were on the road and played gonzaga they lost that game but it was close at halftime to the point mm-hmm. where people were like What's going on here? <laughs> hey, what's going on in Spokane? <laughs> you start to you start to generate a little bit of buzz, which is kind of the whole point. You know, that's the whole point of those games. Yeah, you're going to go get paid for them too, which is great. Helps your your bottom line. You can increase your budget and stuff like that. But if you ever go in and, and make it a game against one of those teams, and or, or, yeah. or go in and beat one of them, I mean, it's like I said, you're leading you're leading Sports Center that night. You can't buy. I'm sorry, you can't buy that publicity anywhere. <laughs> you just can't. No, it's the it's the best kind of publicity you can get just from hanging around with teams that you have, probably have no, absolutely no business hanging around with. Yeah, and that's what I mean. That's what the whole move to Division One afforded the department. Right, was opportunities mm-hmm. to do stuff like that. You, you didn't have the opportunity to do it as a D two. Now, now you do as yeah. a D one, and maybe they'll have more opportunities a year from now. Uh, like you said, playing so the Mac. They uh, they better not get too comfy though, because I mean the Thursday night game they're playing over on Hamill, and then that that UMass Lowell game will be shifting over. It'll be uh, over in Lawler, so a little bit of a bigger crowd over there for the uh, good. What's well, becoming a good rivalry between Merrimack yeah. and UMass Lowell once again in the basketball? Because I mean, they used to be in the NE10 together prior to U Lowell making the jump from the America East. Uh, uh, from the any ten, excuse me, up to the America East. So, these two teams are no stranger when it comes to playing each other, especially in basketball. I mean, obviously, hockey teams we, the hockey teams we know are familiar with each other as well. But I think it's great when you have these two schools that are in such close proximity to to each other, and you know they play each other as frequently as they do, and the games are always as competitive as they are. Yeah, so. it should be a rivalry, right? I mean, they're twenty minutes apart. It always was. It, 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 
there's no reason why it shouldn't be. Yeah. Exactly. I know. I mean, we've all heard the stories from like the 70s and 80s. We weren't around for those, but we've heard the stories about the hockey games between the two schools yeah. in the 70s and 80s. I've, <laughs> I've heard them from my dad, who was on that side of the rivalry. Right? Yeah. My my dad was a ULO guy, so he, he told me all about the games at the Tully Forum. And Mine was. My dad was too. Were, yeah. Yeah. It's <laughs> throwing tennis balls across the ice at each other, and back when the speaking the of fun which, police was not not was uh was not a thing. Speak. You did you see what game penalties? I know. I was gonna say. Did you see what happened the other day? Yeah, well, the typical Princeton Dartmouth and like, what what are we doing here? Come Princeton on, Dartmouth. Let's so have fun. For people that don't know, is there's a tradition at Dartmouth that when they play Princeton, the first time Princeton scores a goal, they all throw tennis balls in the ice. So they did it, and they called Dartmouth for a delay of game penalty. It's been going on for 25 years. <laughs> like, what yeah. are we doing? Well, like. And then, let's let's allow teams and fans to have fun. That's what makes what's college funny hockey is such, a, such a do great it. thing. I think they did it the first time and the second time. They didn't do it the third time. Because then the fans just got annoyed with it. I think they kept doing it. So it's like you do it the first time. Like usually you let the first one slide. And then you make the announcement of no one. Fans, no please do ice. not throw objects onto the ice. See, that's why Thank we have you. a PA guy here. Uh, <laughs> and then it doesn't happen again. But yeah, I thought, come on, like, what are we doing? It's supposed to be college, but like, let's have a little bit of fun. What are we yeah. doing? <laughs> I saw that. I was like, oh, you're gonna be kidding. I mean, that, that, what's next? That would the be fish? like, Is UNH would, get yeah, exactly. I was just gonna say that would be like UNH UNH fans being told, or the uh, the fraternity house up at uh, UNH that they can no longer throw the fish out of the ice after the first goal of the game at the Whittemore Center. Like, come on, what are we doing? It's it's come on. We, we this is what's fun about college athletics. Let's have some fun here. It is supposed to be fun. I know people don't think that it is sometimes. It's supposed to be fun. Uh, speaking of hockey, let's get into some of the hockey stuff. Um, <laughs> do we have to? We do. <laughs> uh, not, not, not a great weekend against Maine for the Warriors. Uh, no, there's no way around that, right? They, I no. thought they played better on Friday than they did on on Saturday. Uh, Scott Bork, head coach of Merrimack, not real pleased with. Uh, either of those two games, as you can imagine, was kind of a back-to-the-drawing-board type of week. Uh, we'll talk to him in a little bit. We'll also talk to Joe Gallo in a little bit, too. Um, but I wanted to start with this. It's I can't believe we're even asking this question, but it's it's two games. It's two out of seven. It's still November. Is it time to hit the panic button? I don't think that it is, but am I wrong? No, you're not wrong. Because I, mean, I think some people feel like it is, and I'm like, guys, it's it's November eighth well, yeah. or nine. I can understand. <laughs> I can understand, and like this is a new thing, and especially for me, right? I I came onto campus as a freshman in 2016, and you know that was the back end of Mark Denny's time in in North Andover, and you know, so I remember when this was a regular occurrence. You know, you had a team come in for a pair, or you had a home and home, and you know you got your doors blown off or you maybe you responded late in the game. You made it close, but ultimately you come up one goal short. I remember those. Like, and obviously you do too as well. Co- covered a lot so, of them. <laughs> this is just one of those things where I think a lot of people aren't as attuned to the success that the program's had over the course of the last two and a half, call it three years. Now that Scott and the staff have really made their mark in, showed us what direction they want to go and what kind of program they're trying to run here. Um, but no, I mean, this is a main team, right? That has come out of the gates hot. They've played well. Look what they did two weeks ago. They did the same thing to the defending national champions. And you and I had this conversation yep. in the building on Friday night after the first 20 minutes, you said, this is the exact formula that they did last weekend against Quinnipiac in the Friday night game where they came out, they blitzed them. They didn't. They almost had no idea how to respond, and finally, by the end of the night, they looked a little bit better as the game kind of went along. But ultimately, Maine did what they've done best, and they did well again this past weekend. Was they possess the puck? And an they, alarming. They possess the puck, and <laughs> it was just unbelievable watching Merrimack at times spend two and a half, three minutes in their own defensive end trying to cycle and. I mean, they did a good job preventing better job on Friday night than Saturday, as you alluded to, but they did a better job of keeping a majority of Maine's chances outside of the house and blocked a ton of shots. I think they had like 19 block shots on Friday night after 40 minutes of play. And I think they finished somewhere with like 27, 28 on Friday. And it was like another 22 or 23 on Saturday, but 
we're not pressing the panic button over here. I mean, you get the view from up top. I get the personal view right from ice side. So I kind of miss out on certain things. I don't see every aspect of every play at times like you can up top. But you got a good chance here this weekend. This is a UConn program that went up to Vermont. They got a split. They're coming in. You've played them tough. They've lost. They've lost some pieces. So I'm interested to see how this team responds this weekend, and then we'll reassess heading into Lowell next week. Yeah, uh, it's this is a big weekend because they've got to respond after a tough week getting swept. And where I mean, they got pushed around physically against Maine. That seemed to be the biggest thing, right? And I thought, I know, I remember I asked you about the question after the game on Saturday. Did he feel like there was a little bit of promise? And what he saw in the third period on Saturday, and he very quickly said no. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> which, he sh- he shut that down quickly. Which I can understand, right? Because they still gave up scoring opportunities. They did. They still got out chance, even though they they outscored him in the third. They still got probably got out chance in the third. Scoring chances on Saturday were thirty two to eight. I mean, that's just bonkers. unheard of, bonkers. Um, but what what I saw in the third period was a team that was a little more willing to engage physically, which really that's what their game is, you know. And I I do think there's something to be said for the beginning of the year, you start with Arizona State, you know, th- three out of your five games were Arizona State and Northeastern. Not real physical teams. Stick skills yeah. teams, as Scott called them. I and he's right. Not real physical teams. Clarkson and St. Lawrence, a little bit more on the physical side. But, uh, you know, the Arizona State and Northeastern, definitely more stick teams. And Maine is a physical team. This weekend against UConn, I think it'll be a little bit different because UConn feels like they're more in the mold of Northeastern or Arizona State. Uh, they're going to yeah. get pushed physically the following weekend against Lowell, though. So I think that it's a it's an important way it's an important bounce back weekend to see. Hey, can we can we answer the bell physically? And against UConn, it shouldn't even just be can we answer the bell physically. It should be can we control the physicality of this game? Because against UConn, they should they should be the more physical team. That's kind of been what their identity has been anyway. Uh, and this is a UConn team that I know you look at their record and they're going, okay, well they struggled a little bit. They're a good team. They're, they played some good competition. They have, and they should have won more games than they have. Through, I know I've played around with some analytic stats recently on the website, and not uh, the expected goals is a number that I like to look at because that what it does quickly to sum, to summarize it is every shot over the course of a game is a, given a, a probability of a goal. So, like a shot from the blue line is worth like point zero five goals, let's say a shot from three feet out in the crease might be worth 0.25 goals because there's a higher probability chance that that's going to go in. Uh, if you use expected goals to come up with expected wins, which is what how analytics work, through seven games, because Instat has not analyzed all of UConn's games yet, but through seven games, UConn was 3-3-1. Three, three, and one. Their expected record was 6-1. and one. <laughs> Their expected goals per game is four and a half. Their actual goals per game is 2.2. It's the biggest difference of any team in the country, which means they're playing really well. They're generating a ton of scoring chances. It's expected that they should be averaging four and a half goals a game. They're averaging 2.2, which means they've either run into really good goaltenders or they're just snake bit offensively, which happens. That happens to teams. We've seen it happen with Merrimack. When you play, I thought that is exactly what happened to Merrimack the opening weekend against Arizona State, where they played really well and just didn't score enough goals it's been the story with UConn it's just it's been the story with UConn over a longer period of time but don't look at their record at four five and one and go oh this is a a UConn team that's struggling I don't think it's been that by any stretch Uh, they just have been a little snake bit they can score they're going to generate opportunities to score goals and both of their goaltenders they're splitting goalies just like like Merrimack has been both of their goaltenders are pretty good so this is a real big test I think this team is as good as the teams in the league they face so far, Northeastern and Arizona State, Maine, um, but it's it's going to be tough because this is a team that offensively has some guys that can drive the play. Matthew Wood being the biggest one as a fifteenth overall pick, who I mean leads them in almost every offensive category. Yeah, I, I also don't want to be the broadcaster jinx here, but looking at UConn's record here they're oh two and oh at home so i did see you that, hate yeah. to you hate to say that a team's gonna have to break through eventually but all four of their wins have come away from you know the state of connecticut they have they haven't won anything on home ice so. and how about that only two games have been at home two out of ten 
I know. So you can they, look at their record, sold... too, and go, geez, well, eight of their first 10 games in front of the road. Yeah. And whereas Merrimack's got, what, six of their first 10 games were on the road? So, I mean, no. I'm trying to think here, right? They've had the Clarkson-St. Lawrence, that's two. Two with Maine, that's four. So they've had five games at home and three on the road. Okay. So, yeah, they've had more of a home leans schedule than uh, than UConn has, so. Yeah, it's uh, it's going to be a tough weekend. I really, it's it's going to be a different weekend against Maine than, than it was against Maine because I don't think they're going to be as physical, but they're still a team that can score. And and then you turn right back around and face Lowell on Wednesday and get ready for another physical, you know, slugfest because that's just how Lowell plays. Yeah, and these and these two teams, UConn and Merrimack, have always played each other closely. I mean, I'm trying to think the last couple of years. I I don't think. Maybe aside from one game, a team's won by more than two goals. I, I, I don't remember. Yeah. I don't remember a whole lot of blowouts in these two teams' history. So, uh, all right, let's uh, let's look at a couple mailbag items. We only got a couple this week, but that's okay. Uh, David says, "How long do you think Merrimack can go with two goalies?" I just don't see a lot of other teams doing that. Is it not better to get someone in a groove and ride them? Like if Zach started last Friday, does he not have a does he not have a rough game on Saturday? How long can they stick with the two goalies? Uh, Ian, I think they can stick with the two goalies all year. I mean, that's what they did last year. Uh, honestly, you don't see a lot of other teams doing it. I mean, you kind of do. It's become more and more the norm, I think. They're doing it on Causeway. Oh, that's another good point. Yeah. And, and I just think it's becoming more and more the norm. I, I, if you look around, like, there's more and more teams nationally that that's kind of what they're doing. And maybe it's not 50-50, but it's like 60-40. Yeah, it, you're, you're going to see that it's become a trend, right? If you can have a guy – take 60% of your games and then you have another guy who comes in and not necessarily plays every other maybe in this instance you know you have two games in four days or two games in five days or three games in five days excuse me maybe one guy gets you know back-to-back starts in the second and third game as opposed to you know the other guy where are, are, are we going to stick with it all the time? No, because it, it can create that competition question of, you know, well, what happens if one guy gets hot? Well, then if one guy gets hot, it's just what's the dynamic between your two guys in your locker room? You know, we've heard Scott talk about it time and time again where both Zach and Hugo love to see the other guy succeed, but he's also mentioned he wants – one guy maybe to step up and say, hey, give me a little bit more of a workload here. I, I think if one guy it. takes it, he'll let him take it, yeah. Yeah, yeah. And it's just a question of is he going to get the play that he needs to see one guy take it and run with it It's just always he turns around and, and does it. It always strikes me as weird that like we, we kind of all agree that it's the most important position on the ice. Really? I yeah, mean, you can't you can't win games if you don't have a goaltender that can stop pucks. And yet, most teams go into the season with just one. Like, if if your number one with most teams, if you're going with a strict number one guy, like if your number one guy gets hurt, you're screwed. And I've never really understood that. Even going back like 15 years ago, which is why I, I, even Merrimack has long done this, and I think most schools do now at this point. And it's smart. They will of your 18 scholarships, two of them are going to goalies. We always need to have two guys on scholarship because you need two guys that can play. If somebody gets hurt, if somebody struggles a little bit or whatever, you need to be able to turn to somebody else. So I think it's smart the way that they've structured their goaltending room. And and it was honestly even, you know, Mark Denny was doing that before Scott got here. It's been a Merrimack thing for a while with the two goalies on scholarship. And I think most schools are doing that at this point. I really do. Uh, I don't think most schools are just investing one of their 18 scholarships in their goalie room. They, they, you can't. And and think because if you are completely relying on one guy, want you're one injury away from just your season being toast, which is never a smart way to approach it. Yeah, well, I mean, just think back again. You brought up the Mark Dennehy era, right? Uh, we saw how many times did Drew Vol- uh, Drew Vogler or, or Colin Delia split time, and then it was Colin Delia mm-hmm. and Craig Pantano split time. And they, the last it, time, like it, it has, it, it's been a common thing for a little yeah. while. I just think it's being talked about a little bit more so frequently now. Well, cause they're also more like a straight split now split. Yeah. You know, you know I mean? Hey, Hugo goes Friday, Zach's going to Saturday or vice versa. Yeah. 
Uh, another one here is from Anthony Wood. Getting the game in overtime on last Saturday have helped us in the pairwise. It would have, yes, slightly. Not necessarily all that much. The pairwise does have a, a weighted balance for overtime games. So, like, if you were to get the game in overtime and tie the game, it would essentially be worth point eight of a The shootout wouldn't matter in the pairwise, but it would have been worth point eight wins for Merrimack, 1.2 wins for Maine. Uh, if... You got the game in overtime and Maine won the game in overtime. It's a little bit less because of the split and then the overtime split and the home road split. I think it would have been worth roughly like a third of a win. So, yes, it would have helped. And, and I think I didn't read Anthony's whole email. I was just trying to take the questions out so we could be concise here. But uh, the, the premise was basically like, hey, if, if they didn't allow so many goals earlier in the game and four was enough to get the game to overtime, would that have helped in the pairwise? The, the quick answer to that is yes. But, you know – focusing on that too much at this point in the year i mean look it it matters right (laughs) i think you want to look at more at just how are they playing are they going to get better like this weekend is the play better than it was last weekend uh even if they were to split this weekend did they play better than they played a week ago i think to get two in the weeds with pairwise stuff right now it all matters like the, the formula doesn't matter it doesn't care if the games were in october or march but don't I would say don't get too overwhelmed with it at this point. We really start to pay attention to that, you know, after the holidays, like January. That's when I'll be doing regular pairwise analysis on a weekly basis. <laughs> yeah, well, I mean, just looking at the pairwise now, I mean, they sit at thirty, and just looking at who sits ahead of them, you have Vermont league game, you have UMass yeah. Lowell league game, BU league game, UMass league game, New Hampshire league game. Providence league game, Boston College, by the way, number one team in the country in case people hadn't heard, league game. So you have plenty of opportunities coming up down the back half of your schedule as long as the pairwise can kind of – hockey's teams, can, excuse me, can stay relative in the top 16, top 20 of the pairwise, you know, till the end of the holiday season, as you kind of just alluded to. You'll have chances to make up for – a subpar weekend against Maine the first weekend in November. So root for like, hockey like you teams said, in non-conference. Yeah, exactly. Root, yeah, exactly. Any non-conference chance thing. you get, root for hockey. So, all right, Ian. Uh, well, hey, I appreciate the time as always. This was fun. We'll do it again next week. Yeah, sounds good. All right, thanks again for joining us. We're going to take a quick break. Come back with the head coach of the Merrimack men's basketball team, Joe Gallo, in just a minute. Sage, what about this stick? I like the orange in it. No, Mom, what is this? This stick is so dusty, there's no more Geno's left in it. I can take it from here, Mom. What kind of tweet are we looking for here, bud? Just a stick so I could toss sauce, Chef Boyardee style. Something more apples versus buckets. Yeah, as long as I could still snipe Bar South and Sally. All right, I got the perfect tweet for you. It's going to be this stick here, mid-flex point stick, completely accurate for buy down every time. This is awesome. I love it. TSR Hockey. We speak your language. All right, we're here with the head coach of the Merrimack men's basketball team, Joe Gallo. And coach, uh, first of all, welcome back. Uh, how was the summer? I mean, it's been a while since we talked. So, how was the the spring slash summer, and and how did everything go in the in the Gallo household? Yeah, everything is uh, great. Busy, busy all around. Obviously, in the spring now, when your season ends, you don't really get to take a breath because you're kind of finishing up your roster for the next year. Um, so it was, uh, you know, heavy recruiting in the spring, and we think we put together a, a really good roster that we got to get together for five, six weeks in, in July, um, almost like a mini training camp, which was, uh, you know, very beneficial. Um, Joey, my uh, seven-year-old, is, is uh, playing every sport possible. So we're <laughs> going from baseball to flag football to Friday night hoops and kind of juggling all that. So uh, it's it's been busy, but uh, a fun busy. I wouldn't want it any other way. Yeah, I, I would tell you that gets easier, but it doesn't. Uh, <laughs> I'm I'm at a rink in East Boston until nine o'clock, four days, uh, three nights a week. <laughs> so <laughs> yeah. it's yeah, yeah. It, it doesn't get any easier, but it's good. It's a fun busy for sure. Uh, before we get into talking about some of the additions to this year's team and on the court, uh, I wanted to talk about some of the additions on the bench because you guys uh, filled out the coaching staff, hired Javaris Hayes. He comes back as an assistant coach and Chris Moore uh, also back as an assistant coach. Uh, what did each of them bring and and how did those two hires come about? Yeah, I think, um, you know, obviously two guys that I've, I've known 
Chris for a very long time. You know, he he was an assistant coach when I was a player, and and obviously the you know having Javaris um, coached him as our starting point guard for for four years. Um, you know, just two guys that um, know me very well. I know them very well. There's a lot of uh, trust both ways. Um, they both. You know, Chris brings tons of experience. He's coached in hundreds and hundreds of games and hundreds of practices and has been around a lot of good basketball. Um, and also, you know, most importantly to me is just great guys to, to be around every day. Um, you know, we spend a lot of time together. So you, you always want to surround yourself with good people. So, um, you know, Chris brings a, a ton of experience. Um, you know, Javaris, you know, doesn't have experience as a coach, but he, you know, in my mind, he was the most qualified person for the, the job because of his experience within our program. And, you know, we play a unique style that he knows inside and out. You know, he's been um, he's been through wins here. He's been through losses here. He's been through practices and shoot arounds and film sessions in summer. And, you know, he's just a great, um, great resource for our guys because he was he was them not too long ago. Right. So he could kind of relate to a lot of you know, ups and downs that they're going through um, over the course of a season. Is he the first former player that you've had as a fellow coach on the staff? And, or, or is he the first time, is he the first player you've coached who you've now coached alongside? <laughs> yeah. Yeah. So I'm getting old. And then Kyle Howes was on one of those first teams or two just got married this summer. So I've had my first <laughs> player wedding and, uh, and first player, um, on staff and before you know it, it'll probably be players having some, some kids here soon yeah. and hopefully i'm around enough to to coach some of my former players uh <laughs> so yeah it's uh it's been um you know it's it's been fun and, and now including myself uh you know with cedric uh who is our ga you know he's an alum very good pitcher on our baseball team and He's been a great, um, great addition as well. We added him last year and he's just added responsibility and just does a lot of, a lot of things on a day-to-day basis to really help our program run. So we, we gave him a title, um, similar to, you know, how, how, how football does it. Um, you know, people go with, uh, analytics and this and that. And I said, let's go with the football quality control coach. Cause said, make sure that we have good quality days every day. So now, you know, five of our six coaches are all Merrimack alums, which is pretty cool. I like it. Uh, we're recording this, just so people know, in between the Vermont game and the Worcester State game. We're recording this on Wednesday. So uh, we can actually look back a little bit of the game from earlier this week on Monday. Um, I wanted to talk about kind of the new faces in the lineup because it was a different look, right? You had a couple of guys that were returning for sure. Um, yeah. Sa- Devin Savage and Jordan, and Jordan Durkak, who looked fantastic, I thought, but they both looked good. There was a period in the second half of that game where Durkak went on a little bit of a run. Uh, he hit the two free throws off the technical, but I think he had six or seven points in a row at one point. And it, sure. you know, not that it's ever one guy's team, but like there's always been a couple of guys who things kind of get rotated through. Last year it was J- Jordan and Ziggy. It was Javaris when he was here. M- Monday's game against UVM. and it, Jordan was emerging as one of those guys last year too. But it seemed like yep. there was a point there in the second half where it was like, okay, yeah, he is going to be one of the guys that things things roll through. The ball goes through him in some key moments. It seemed like, for sure, yeah, for sure, and, and on both ends, right? And he's, um, you know, he he, you know, every team, you know, even when you're a returner, like you also then take on a bigger role. So it's and with that role also comes some responsibility. Um, and and he's a guy. You're right when he is doing what he does well there's really nobody that can, he's the only guy that could guard himself, right? He, he, when he wanted to get in the paint, he got in the paint. When he wanted to get other guys shots, he get other guys shots. And he's, you know, he's, he's such a um, competitor um, that he just makes everybody around him better. So um, he's, he's been great, um, you know, from summer to fall. Now we're into games and, and, and you're right. It's um, he's taking on, you know, when he's at his best, I, I'd love for our team to take on, Jordan's personality because it's a really tough one to beat um, when he's locked in and at his best. Uh, and then obviously I think with so many new faces, I would imagine you would lean on those returners a lot, whether it's Durkak or Savage or Stinson or McCoy off the bench, who uh, it seemed like at one point there too, defensively, it almost looked like he was kind of directing traffic, which is the guy with the most experience in that system. I would imagine 
he does. For sure. He's the, in that bench, like we went down 19 to two, um, you know, tough pace to play first game, some jitters and um, that bench with, with um, Jalen Stinson, Jordan McCoy, uh, Jacob O'Connell, um, Armandis, uh, Plantauskas, we call him AP. Those guys came in and they kind of settled us down. We went on a 12-0 run and got right back in the game. So, you know, we have nine guys um, right now that I feel really comfortable putting in a game, you know, we're still waiting on um, Malik Edmead waiver status. You know, you throw him in the mix. This is even with, you know, with or without Malik, it's, it's for sure the deepest team we've ever had here. Um, and, and bringing um, experience like that off the bench is, is awesome. You know, Jalen, Jalen and, and Jordan McCoy both played in the championship game last year. And now they're, you know, coming in at four minutes into the game and we didn't miss a beat. Yeah. Uh, I was curious too with Malik, obviously, like you said, still waiting for the the waiver decision there from the NCAA, but uh, kind of a, a unique situation. I know it's happened a couple of other times too, where guy transfers and then transfers back. Uh, what was the process like? Because was that happened over the spring, I would assume, right? Yeah. And it was pretty early, you know, right when their year ended, he kind of, um, he went into the portal and then he reached out to me and, you know, we had some good conversation just about, you know, this was the place he should have stayed at, you know, he, he, openly admitted, you know, I, I made a mistake. Um, you know, I'd love to be back and, um, you know, I, I love Malik. He's, he's, he was a good player for us. Um, he's matured track, you know, we, we got, I'm, I've known Malik since he was 16 years old. He was a very young, uh, commit for us, almost like what Scott's used to in, in the hockey world. That's pretty <laughs> weird. Uh, and when we got him, he was a young freshman. He was legitimately 17 years old. So even to see him from where he was then, and then stepping away and then coming back, he's just a, you know, still has the same game, but better, obviously, because he's older, but he's just so much more mature of a person and a teammate. Um, and, you know, we're, I'm, I'm really you know anxious for him with this decision, but he'll be fine either way. You know, we had a great talk. If he doesn't get it, he spends the whole year working out and he's still got two years to play. So he's in a he's in a good place. Um, but we're, we're just kind of waiting. It's, it's out of our hands at this point. Yeah. I'd be shocked if we don't hear something in another week or so. Uh, one of the, the guards that kind of filled in in that spot and looked pretty well was a freshman, Adam Clark, who, again, like I remember you and I talked about this last year, how defensively it can be the, the most difficult thing to pick up when you're a new player here, just because not many player, not many other teams play the zone the way you guys do. He didn't look out of place. He looked like he picked it up right away. I think he led the team in steals on, on Monday. So uh, for I don't know if he if he's played a system like that before, maybe had some familiarity with it, but still it looked like, he was pretty comfortable pretty early. Yeah. He's a, um, not much phases him. You know, he's kind of just doesn't give you a whole lot of emotion either way. Um, it, it, it wasn't, you know, that, that Vermont place, you know, sold out gym. Um, you know, I was looking back over the last 10 years, they're, they're a hundred and 128 and 28 at home, you know, and, and, and Bud went in and he was super poised and, you know, he had a really good game, but his, he had a very good high school coach. You know, they didn't play our system, but they played really hard and and he was held accountable every day on the defensive end. And a lot of that alone has just kind of translated into him being able to, to take that jump. But you know, I told him the other day, he's going to be a guy, I don't know when, but at some point he's going to lead the country in steals. Um, it could happen as early as this year, but at some point in his career, uh, he's going to be a guy who leads the country in steals, which we've had a, a good amount of those guys and he's the next one one of them's on the coaching staff now <laughs> one of them is on yeah. wasn't for the COVID year he'd still be the all-time leader yeah exactly yeah but, um, but next to some of the records that the guys that got the five years to play <laughs> uh what about some of the new faces up front too obviously a couple of tra- some freshmen uh up front but also some some transfers that have come in and played a role on Monday. I would imagine they're going to continue to play him a role moving forward. You mentioned O'Connell. Um, Samba yeah, Brian is, one. yeah, Brian Samba Diallo is, you know, Jacob O'Connell's in his fifth year, came from Princeton, really good program, you know, played, played behind some really good players on a team that went to a sweet 16. You know, Samba Diallo is, is now in his, his sixth year. Uh, he was a, you know, 8.5 rebound a game guy at, at UMass a few years ago, similar um, at Manhattan. And he just, you know, he, he's a, tough physical guy plays really, really hard. Um, you know, China Samba, we got later than everybody else. Um, so we didn't have him in the summer. We didn't get him till August. So 
it's, you know, give him another couple weeks here. Um, and, and he's going to just keep getting better and better. Um, and then Brian at Tumnu, um, you know, I love those stories. He was, he was here last year on our bench and he played behind yeah. Jordan Miles and Ziggy Reed. And now, you know, he worked out all year. He didn't complain. And, and, you know, a lot of guys are kind of running from that nowadays and just trying to go to other places where it's easier. Um, and I'm just glad for him because he never complained about anything and he stuck it out. And now he's, you know, he, he's starting for us. Um, and he's going to be a pretty important piece for us. Yeah, he's going to be the next one I brought up. Because like you said, you don't see a lot of those stories now. Usually if it's if the guy gets stuck on the bench for a year, you know, it's immediately I'm going to go to the portal and go somewhere else. But um, he was going to be the next one I mentioned because of that. I noticed that you know, not only did he play, but he started the other night, which which was big. Yeah, he did. And him and Jacob will continue to, you know, in, in some fashion, we got 40 minutes at that position. And those two guys will we'll split that, you know, pretty evenly. One guy might, you know, on, on given nights, a guy might be, you know, playing a little better and may play, you know, 24 to 16 or something like that. But, you know, we feel really good about um, those two as kind of our five man by committee. Was the kind of the focus on the point, I mean, a lot of the, the new guys that are out of the portal were size guys up front. Was that a focus? I would imagine when you lose Jordan, when you lose Ziggy, Hey, we got to, we have to get something there. You know, it's hard to find six foot seven guys, <laughs> um, yeah, but yeah. you know, to go into the portal and to, re to replace some of those guys, was it, was that a focus when, especially once those two guys went into the portal? Yeah, that was. And I think at that position, um, it helps to be a little older just because the physicality, you know, I, I think you could have young guards. Um, you know, last year we, we started down the stretch. We started two freshmen in the backcourt with Durkak and, and Bennett. So, um, we knew Bud would be able to come in and play, and we knew we had uh, Jordan coming back and Jalen Stinson and, and Malik coming back. Um, so it was more, uh, like you said, we wanted some older um, guys that have been around up front. And, you know, you're never going to – we didn't have to replace Minor or replace Ziggy. You were just mm -hmm. going to be a little bit different and, and do it by committee. Well, you got Worcester State coming up at home on on Thursday, and then on the road again uh, at Maine. Uh, like we were talking before we hit record, on the road for for quite a bit here in the month of November. But as you kind of look at this November schedule, the way the non conference games come together, what are some of the things outside of just hey, we want to win games? What are some of the things that you look for that you try to accomplish as a group throughout these first nine or ten games? Yeah, we just talked about it today um, before practice. So we have eight games in November. Only one is at home. We'll spend 12 nights in hotels um, from November 6th to November 30th. Right? I think a lot of times when you look back, this is when your team is kind of formed. You're spending a lot of time together, a lot of film sessions, a lot of meals, a lot of the off-the-court stuff. Um, and then we we're, we have a really challenging schedule. I always think we end up being one of the best teams in the league on the road every year. I think because some of the challenges we face um, – in November, right? And some is uh, some is not up to us. Like, it's been hard for us to get home games. Not a whole lot of people want to come and play us at home. So it's not like we just go and pick and choose to do this to, to toughen us up. You know, ideally, I'd love to <laughs> look at some of the higher level schools and, and uh, they sleep in their bed and they don't, they don't have to stay in a hotel until after the new year and they're playing their money games and they're buying games and they're you know, they're starting every 11 and 0 and everything's all nice and great, but we get to see what we're made of early, um, you know, fight through some, some losses at times, stay together, continue to have good practices. Like I want our practices to look the same, whether we won by 30, you know, whether we're playing Worcester state or Cincinnati, whether we win the game, whether we lose the game, you know, what we've done here is just kind of being able to be the same team day in and day out. And then usually by the time January, February comes, um, we're a pretty tough team to play. If anyone wants evidence of that, just look at last year's schedule. That would be my recommendation. <laughs> uh, Hope not to do that again. Well, that, yes. was a bit, that was a bit of the extreme case, but you know, that's the tough. It's, it's, it's tough. And then I give these guys credit to be able to, now the great thing is, is we, once you do it, you have, some guys that have been through it that can always, you know, keep the locker room together if something's not going good or, um, you know, that's why it's the most important thing is, is the kids on your roster. If you, if you don't have good people, um, competitive kids, you know, that's last year was the first time I've said, you know, you always read the quote, like, um, you got to have a crew you're willing to lose 
with first um, before you win. And I never really bought into that a whole lot. I thought that was just some guy who lost a lot of games making that quote up. But I felt it last year after about nine, 10 in a row, you know, no one strayed, no one went their separate ways. Um, and then once we got that, you know, win or two under our belt and the confidence got, got there, um, we started to really roll. So hopefully we start rolling a little sooner than we did last year, but um, it's always a challenge in November. Last thing for me, I'm sure, you know, the more I thought about it, I, I don't think it probably does, but uh, the move to the Mac a year from now, does that change anything in the way you guys operate in terms of recruiting or, or anything? I mean, I would imagine it's just a lot of the same. You kind of take it day by day. Yeah, it's, it's a lot of the same. I think people always ask, you know, if we did, we we didn't necessarily do anything different when we went from the Northeast 10 to the NEC. Either. Yeah. You know, sometimes a league itself um, may give you some access to, to um, some different guys. Um, but day-to-day basis or where we recruit or what we do um we're, we're not going to change anything we do we just gotta you know just you know i'd be comfortable with the team we have right now if if we were playing in, in that league this year you know i think you just gotta recruit to your system recruit tough, recruit good kids recruit tough kids and then you know that the the league you're in that kind of takes care of itself kind of the access you'll have to some some different recruits based on the league all right, Coach. Well, hey, thanks for the time. As always, uh, good luck over the, the upcoming weekend here. We'll talk again soon. All right. Awesome. All right. That was the head coach of the Merrimack men's basketball team, Joe Gallo, joining us. We're going to take another quick break. Be back in a moment with the head coach of the Merrimack men's hockey team, Scott Bork. I'm Cole Caulfield, and I played college hockey. I'm Adam Fox, and I played college hockey. I'm Jake Gensel, and I played college hockey. I'm Johnny Gaudreau, and I played college hockey. Whether you are a fan or a player, nothing compares to college hockey. For more information, visit collegehockeyinc.com. All right, we're joined by the head coach of the Merrimack Men's Hockey Team, Scott Bork, who's on the road. Team's already down in Connecticut getting ready for uh, Friday's game against Huskies. They'll be back home Saturday against UConn. Coach, uh, how you doing? How the week go? It's a good week. Um, you know, I think that uh, we, we got humbled uh, for sure last weekend. I thought Maine played very, very well, and uh, we weren't as good as we can be. But, um, you know, I thought our team was really prepared this week to practice and eager, eager to get back at it. You know, I think we – expected, wanted, needed better results last weekend. Didn't get any of those three things. Uh, but I was really impressed with the way the team came to work this week and got back on the horse, so to speak, to get our get our game going in the right direction. Uh, in terms of getting things going in the right direction, what are some of the things that you look back on that main series and needed to see more of? Were there certain elements of your game that you wanted to see different or wanted to see better? You know, I thought defensively um, – we weren't as good as we needed to be. Um, and our team knew that. You know, we left our goaltender out to dry on a few occasions, including the first shift of the game, and put him in some really difficult spots. And I think that uh, obviously we have very good goaltending, but, you know, you can't put him in the spot that we put uh, Zach in. And, you know, we know we got to get better. And we worked a lot on coming over the defense, you know, the defensive blue line. and and being more uh, detailed in our approach to that part of our game. Um, and I, I think we'll be better at it tomorrow. We'll need to be. You know, obviously, UConn's is a very good offensive team. Uh, you, you talked a little bit last week, too, about wanting to be a little more physical or thought that they out-physicaled you guys. Again, like when you had the time to look back on the on the film, is that something that did stand out, even when you had time to look back on it? I don't, I, how I felt about the physical play wasn't that they out-physicaled us. They out, they out, they were smarter physically, I guess is the way I'd want to put it. Yeah, they were heavy, and they played through people, uh, but they didn't, you know, they didn't run around physically. I thought we ran around physically. We tried to match their physicality with trying to make big hits, and you know that's just not successful. Uh, you can only do that for a certain amount of time, anyway. And also, the big hits take you out of position as much as it takes them out of position. So, um, you know, I just thought that they were smarter physically. And we need to be better than that. And so, you know, what we talked about this week was just, you know, being true to ourselves, not, you know, not expecting uh, 
guys to run around and bang bodies and just finish checks all over the rink because that's what you're supposed to do. Uh, just be bigger with the puck. Uh, separate them from the puck. Separate their hands from the puck. Uh, and understand that our physicality is all about getting the puck back, not about beating someone up. And I didn't think we necessarily handled that as well as we could have. Um, and that's probably as much on the coaches as on the players. You know, I, I'm pretty emotional, and I wanted us to bounce back on Saturday, and I asked a lot of our team in that direction um, and probably didn't explain it well enough to the point of, you know, understand why we're doing this. It's not about beating someone up. It's just about getting the puck back. Uh, in, in terms of just how you look back on that series, too, I mean, is it something where you, you almost feel like teams are going to go through something like that at some point in the year? And if it's just if you can bounce back this weekend and it's just one weekend and it's one weekend in November, it's probably not going to have a, a real big effect on, on kind of the long-term goals of this season. Is that something you guys have talked about, too, that, hey, you know, every team kind of goes through these, these periods where you learn a little something about yourself or you got to change a little something about yourself, and it's just an opportunity here to, to have some bounce back this weekend? Definitely. In, in hockey use this year, you know, you can't worry about last weekend. You have to focus on next weekend. And because, you know, I, I talked to Coach Kavanaugh today at the rink when we went to the practice. You know, this is as deep as the league I think it's ever been. Uh, there's not going to be any easy outs. And we just need to be ready to play every night to play our game and try to bring our personality to that game. Um, and I thought we didn't do that last weekend as well as we could. And we need to be better at that and put that weekend behind us. But I think every night in this league this year, you're going to need to put last night behind you, whether you win or lose, because the next night you're going to be into a fight. I know this has been a, a reoccurring theme that I ask you about almost every week, but how you guys look at it health-wise, uh, I assume Brown and Zivlak are still, are still out. I know it sounded like those were a little more long-term, but any of the other guys that have been out, do you think you might be able to get back? Uh, we, we will likely, uh, Jeff, you know, obviously played last weekend. Uh, he, he's in a good place now. It's nice to see that come back to him. Um, he's really the only guy who's back out of the whole group. I think that right now Ziblock and Brown are both skating, which is really positive. Uh, and we should be able to, you know, probably, I'm not sure if it's going to be before Thanksgiving, but it will certainly be before Christmas that I think they're both ready to come back and play. Oh, that's a good sign. I know at one point, for, for Brown anyway, it looked like it might be you know, the, the second half of the year. So it sounds like his timetable may have gotten sped up a little bit. That's a good, that's good news. Well, it's funny because on Tuesday, I went to my physical therapy, and it turns out Michael and I share the same physical therapist. <laughs> and he was the one who told me that, uh, you know, I'm, I'm thinking that, you know, he's making such great progress. He really was diligent in his rehab. Learned a lot last year from Liam Dennison that uh, never say never. And I think he's made a great uh, stride in the last two weeks. So I'm, I'm excited. You know, certainly last weekend, Ivan and Michael would have been very helpful. Um, but, you know, we, we have other guys who are starting to get some experience and actually playing pretty well as well. So when they do come back, I think we're a stronger team. But the people who got the opportunities, I don't think have done a bad job at all and have also made us a deeper team. And I assume, too, it, it was good to see Jeffries being able to handle a, a full load in terms of minutes. You know, didn't I, I know when we talked last week, it, it's hard to manage his minutes because once he's good, he just wants to go. Um, but, I mean, it, it seemed like he came back and handled a full load two nights in a row. So, uh, And if it, he comes back on the other side of that on Monday, still feeling pretty good, you have to kind of assume, okay, maybe he's not 100%, but, like, it's, it's kind of getting there. No, for sure. And we, when I talked after the game, I thought that uh, there was, that I may have played him over, overplayed him on uh, Friday and put him in a difficult situation. But he is an engine that can go forever, uh, and he certainly showed that on Saturday because he played a bunch of minutes again. Uh, but I was really excited on Monday when I saw him come back and have no little effects because that's you know you, you hate to do that to a player who comes back. And if you have him for a weekend, was it really worth it? And the fact he came back on Monday was really big for us. I wanted to ask you, too, about the penalty kill. It's not something we've really talked about yet this year, but uh, it's been very good, in my opinion. And, and I think I think you guys are at like 22 or 24 minutes per, uh, of penalty kill time before you've allowed a power play goal. Like it, it just seems like that unit's been really good all year. Knock on wood, I know, and it starts with the goaltenders who have been very good. But what have you seen from that unit, and, and what do you think have been the kind of the keys to their success so far? I think uh, it has been very good first, and I think that Coach Fuel deserves a lot of credit for that. 
Uh, he works very hard with our guys on that, and uh, both uh, video-wise, knowing what's coming, but also just skill-wise and the different ways to approach it. Uh, so that's that's number one. And he also has a great chemistry with most of the guys, the returners who are on the PK, uh, and played some of, some of not a lot of it last year. I think that's very helpful. And I think this team has shown a real willingness to get in front of pucks and block shots, and that's been a big part of our penalty kill. We've been able to block a ton of shots. Uh, when they do get by us, we feel like we have two of the best goalies in the league uh, who are able to stop them. But we're blocking a lot, you know, on the dots as well. And that's been a big part of our team's success when we've been successful has been that. And it's been a huge part of our PK when we've had that opportunity as well. I, a lot of teams seem to do this now, but, I mean, you guys use a lot of guys out there. It's not like it's, you know, four guys that get used on the penalty kill or eight guys if there's two units. Like, it a good number of the guys on the bench go over the boards of the penalty kill. Does that have to do with the success too? Just maybe guys being fresh when you get into those situations where maybe penalties do pile up a little bit. Hasn't really happened to you guys yet, maybe Arizona State, but outside of that, I mean, when, when you do get into situations like that, having so many guys that you can put over the boards, I'd imagine would lend itself to staying fresh and having more success. No question. When a PK player knows, you know, we only need 20 to 25 seconds from him, he can go at a whole different pace than if he knows you're going to need him to come back a second time in that same penalty kill or to play longer in that situation. Uh, and I think that you know that's something of a conscious decision this year going into the season to play more players on the PK uh, right now early so that we could figure out what we have there. So far, what we have there is pretty good, and, and we feel like we've got a lot of guys who can kill. And I don't think we've had one penalty kill this year that we've had to play the same group twice during that penalty kill. Uh, and the longer we're able to do that, the more people we're developing and the better we'll get in that, that role. What have you seen from UConn uh, in terms of seeing them on video? It'll be the first time you guys see them live this year, but uh, I, I know you said it earlier, definitely a team that can score. I, I know their, their numbers don't look that way right now, but uh, definitely, definitely a team that can score and probably should have scored more than they have at this point. A little bit of luck involved, I think, there, but uh, definitely a, a very good offensive team, it seems like, and I would imagine that stood out when you watched them this week. No question. Um, you know, the goalie, uh, Gabe Carrier, played great for Vermont, especially the first night um, in that game. And I thought uh, he didn't steal the game, but he gave um, Vermont the chance to win the game, and then Vermont won the game. But uh, that that's uh, something that with them, I think they're going to go off at some point offensively. They just have too many weapons, and their sticks are outstanding. You know, uh, it starts with Matthew Wood, obviously, but they get several forwards who can play that way, who have really good sticks, who can break you down one-on-one. Their defense keep it simple. They get touched to the net. Uh, they don't overplay. Uh, I really like their team. I think they've done a really good job. And offensively, I think it's just a matter of when, and uh, I want that when to be next weekend, not this weekend. <laughs> uh, I know, like last week when we were talking after one of the main games, you had said they they were more of a physical team. You know, some of the teams you had played up to that point were maybe more stick teams, the way you described them. When you look at UConn, what category do you think they fall in, or do, or do you think maybe they're a mix of both? I really think they're a mix of both. Um, they're extremely physical on the back end, for sure. Uh, and they have some really committed forwards to that as well. They're not asking that of you know a certain group of guys just because those are the guys who you know you don't want them doing that, uh, taking themselves out of the play. You want them to have the puck. But um, I think they're a little bit of a mix. They're not as physical as Maine. Uh, they're certainly not as sticky as some of the teams we've played. Um, they they pose a, a, a big challenge because when you play Maine, you know what you're getting into, um, and they won because of what they, how they played and how hard and, how, and physical they were. Um, but when you play UConn, you know, they can hit you with both the left and the right, and you need to be prepared for that and play through it when it happens. We are going to spend some time on our own end this weekend. We, we need to recognize that, and we need to play better there. So um, that's our biggest challenge is improving our own game. And if we do that, you know, we should also take care of themselves whenever that is. Hopefully it's tomorrow, but if it's not tomorrow, I'm really optimistic about this team. And I, I feel like if it's not tomorrow, it's the next day. And, you know, I'll keep preaching that to the group. So I think as long as we keep improving, uh, things will work out the way we want them to. Is that really the key to I mean, just coming off of what last week looked like? Do you want to start in the D zone and, and make sure things are solid there and then let everything else kind of take care of itself? That 100%. Like, I feel like we played 
last week just okay, right? And and yet we scored, especially the second night. We scored four goals, and um, we didn't play a great game. We know that. But we ourselves have some really good sticks, and we have some players who can score and finish and deeper than we've been in the past in that regard. But we're not a team that can rely on that. And uh, maybe we relied on that going into that series. I'm not sure. I'm not the coaches didn't, but maybe the players mentally had that uh, in their head a little bit that, hey, we can score, we can control this game with our sticks. Um, and that's just not going to happen in any game we play this year, not a single game. It doesn't matter who we're playing against. Uh, we're going to need to be physically committed. We're going to need to be defensively committed. Uh, and we're going to need to be team committed. Um, and we've been pretty good at that so far. And we just got to keep growing in those areas. All right, Coach. Well, good luck this weekend. We'll talk to you next week, and we'll see you Saturday. Thanks, Mike. I really appreciate it. All right, thanks for tuning in to this week's edition of the Mac Report Podcast. Uh, thank you to our guests, Joe Gallo and Scott Bork, for taking the time out of their day to talk about their teams. And thanks to Ian Bouchane, who's going to be our new guest host every week. We'll bring you up to date on what's going on with Merrimack men's basketball, Merrimack men's hockey, get you caught up on what has happened, and get you ready for what's going to happen over the course of the, the, the upcoming weekend and upcoming week. So thanks, Ian, and we look forward to being with him a week from now. So thanks again, everybody, for tuning into the show as well. Thanks to our subscribers over at themacreport.com. If you want to become a subscriber, all you got to do, go over to themacreport.com today, and you can sign up and have access to all of our coverage of Merrimack men's basketball and Merrimack men's hockey. Thanks again, everybody, for tuning in. I am Mike McMahon. We will talk to you next week.